Greetings and welcome everyone to a new episode of the Dream Builders podcast. I am very excited for this episode, not only because it's the last one for this year, but also because we have an amazing guest today. And I'm very delighted to introduce to you, Jill Mackay. Now, Jill is an applied neuroscience trainer, coach, speaker, and worked for more than 20 years with coaches, trainers, HR, and business professionals to amplify their results through using neuroscience in their work. Jill is also the co-founder of My Brain International, and the author of the best-selling book, Stuck, Brain Smart Insights for Coaches. Now, today we're going to talk about neuroscience and in particular about you know, Jill's passion, which is how to make friends with your brain. And I'm very <laughs> excited to know more about this, especially how you can create a better life and really tr truly embrace your uniqueness. So, Jill, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so where, where shall we start this conversation? I feel like I would love to know a little bit more about... Uh, about you and your passion because you have worked for more than 20 years in this particular topic neuroscience so you know what led you to become so passionate about this topic yeah I, I'll, you'll have to stop me because it's potentially a long story <laughs> okay. I, th I think I, because it's all about the passion and I think the passion comes from various um, sources and it gets reiterated and it evolves as we move forward and when I when I actually look back um, my, my story starts or my passion story starts from when I was a youngster I was born with a cardiac condition that um, which it's so interesting so many years ago it, it had um, a, a mortality rate with it it was a severe hole in, in my heart nowadays it's just incredible people just it's not quite a daycare operation but it's a, a completely different thing you know things just evolve so much the reason I mention this is because I felt really different from a lot of my peer group at the time and I didn't know then that this would be the, the basis for me nowadays um, with my passion of really helping people to enjoy their difference to enjoy their uniqueness um, when I reflect back on that period I enjoyed my uniqueness yes there were some things that were different from or well, many things that were different from my peer group like I was on half day schooling for a while I had to have regular trips to hospital um, I guess I kind of intuitively knew I wasn't well um, so of course there were things that were different but I was also me I think I had a really healthy sense of who I was and then sort of fast forward now into the world of work um, I was one of those lucky people who landed in a, a role that I really loved so I was in the whole um, lovely uh, remit of learning and development so I've always been in training facilitation coaching and the neuroscience angle came we were talking probably about the late uh, the late 90s that came about when with, I was working with my um, opposite number in North America. I, I ran the corporate university for leadership, or the lead, in the leadership school in the corporate university uh, for Europe. And my opposite number in um, America, his uncle was a neuroscientist. And it was just at that stage where neuroscience was beginning to see that there were applications beyond just the medical and the clinical sphere, that actually knowing a bit about our brain is really additive for us as people in day-to-day -day life as well as as business so as a consequence of that we we did a little bit of research what, what little was known then um, and we started to weave some brain science neuroscience messages into our leadership training programs 
and hence my whole passion um, started to to come about around making friends with your brain because when we understand at that sort of brain level that that physically we can make a difference when we, we physically make a difference in our own bodies when we decide to change our thought patterns and to tr decide to try new things and bring change into our life that can be really really appealing for people and really grounding and of course there is nothing more unique than your brain so my work lots of my work is about helping people to just really ground themselves and embrace the fact that they're different which is such a wonderful place to be we all have our own difference our own uniqueness to bring to the world so founded from when i was a youngster and evolved all the way throughout the years uh, throughout my teenage and life my university life but mostly in my working life i think i was at a really good pivotal point when that science started to become more accessible in the in the business world wow thank you so much for sharing that jill and uh i, I would love to know because before we talk about neuroscience and like the kind of steps to make friends with your brain i would love to know more <laughs> about that I'm very particularly interested in you because you said like kind of from a young age you have been very well aware of your uniqueness yeah. and you had a healthy sense of who you were can you yeah. perhaps explain a little bit how you found that within yourself or how you did that yeah well i i think it was a mix of finding that within myself i think when you are forced i guess into a situation you know with your growing brain as a, as a youngster where you where you recognize you realize that your life is different to your peer group because peer group is so important to all of us when we're growing up i think almost as a subconscious level that 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 forces you to perhaps ask some adult questions of yourself and start to build some of those that self-awareness because I needed to, to land and understand why was it me that was in hospital? Why was it me that was on half day schooling? Why was it me that wasn't allowed to do the, the, the physical education um, in certain when I was at a certain stage in my in my my illness? Um, so I think that health and I do like to use the word healthy you know I, I don't know whether I've been born positive I mean, we might be able to talk about that a little bit later but I was also <laughs> surrounded by great positivity so and when I look back I, I my, my parents were absolutely remarkable they were both doctors um, I mean they've, they've gone now so hence the past tense but both doctors and to some degree I think it's even more remarkable because they were both doctors they would have understood perhaps more than lay people that their child was ill and yet they were you know they had more, more knowledge if you like and experience around that and yet they had created this incredible positive environment for my brother my sister and myself and i remember my mum saying to me when i was probably about eight or nine um she, it was, she kind of invoked this idea of uniqueness with me i don't think that was her intention but it was all about making me feel better and i remember her saying to me um just be you jill because everyone else is taken now amusingly i've subsequently seen that quote um, attributed to einstein <laughs> so whether, whether my mum read it or not i don't know i just love it yeah. be you because everyone else is taken it's such a powerful thing and for me even as a youngster I, I guess my parents were you know encouraging me that despite some of my my illnesses that everything was great and i could still have a fabulous life and the choices i it was all about my own choice around that so i think it was it was twofold i think i helped i i, I 
force myself to ask myself some great questions because I was living a different life from my friends, but also the environment around me encouraged that perpetual realism, that positivity as well. And I think that really helped me on my way into that healthy sort of mindset when I was a youngster. Wow. <laughs> yeah, very fortunate. I, I really do. So, yeah, yeah. It sounds lesson. like fortunate growing up like that and you yes, know, to get yes. that kind of wisdom already at such a young age is yeah. super, super important yeah. for your self-development as well, right? And seeing... in some ways, in some ways, I think you know, I had to grow up quite fast because we were facing some quite challenging decisions around various medical procedures. But you know, I've always had that kind of positivity attached to it. But and I, I hugely thank my parents for the environment that they created around that. Yeah. Wow. So, Jill, um, let's move to the brain. I'd let's love to, move to I the would, brain. I would, <laughs> I would love, love to know more about you know ultimately how we can make more friends with our brain. But also, let's let's start from a point that that should be simple. I mean, like. From school onwards, we haven't really been trained into what the brain can do for us, right? So we just right. use it on a daily basis and we get into routines and we don't think about what's happening. So can you tell us perhaps a little bit about, I know you you love this, uh, like what the, the neuro myths actually are and, you know, oh, what, yes. what some <laughs> of the myths are about the brain so that we can debunk that. And yeah. start from that point and then we can start how can we resolve those issues yeah so, so i mean we really could have a podcast of 10 hours here I, I, absolutely <laughs> okay. so you'll, have, you'll have to contain me <laughs> absolutely i think it's really important I'm, I'm glad you put that on the table about the myths because as with anything that is popular or fashionable and let's be face it neuroscience is popular or fashionable inevitably many people climb on the bandwagon and um, you know want to be part of it of course they do because it is creating an impact in all of our, our worlds today and then inevitably there are some misinterpretations some exaggerations and embellishments and, and all of those things that um, are popular um, psychology and popular neuroscience um, is all about so um, what we do in our business is we like to, to say that we um, we help to debunk the myths, uh, but also that we like to say that we make neuroscience accessible because on one side you've got the really weighty academia, which is fabulous and that's where the research comes to play um, with all the university research the clinical the medical research the psychological research and all of it joining up and then at the other the other end you've got the popularized um, some of which is is very valid the popularized interpretation of what neuroscience is about so i like to kind of think that we're the the bridge in the middle to interpret this so uh, you, we'll all have read about so many of these these myths like, oh, you only use 10% of your brain. So think about that 90% untapped potential. So I like that as a marketing message. I like the whole essence of um, untapped potential. But hey, we use all of our brains all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> because the big part of our brain keeps our body going you know we uh, we do not consciously think about blinking or swallowing or keeping the saliva going on in our mouth it's our brains doing that as a subconscious level so we use all of our brains all of the time 
we do develop preferences for doing things in a particular way so we may not be pulling upon every single neural pathway all of the time because we do have these patterns you referred to patterns and routines but it is a myth to say you only lose 10 percent of your brain so yes take the other part of that there's so much untapped potential within us but we are using our brains but we can potentially consciously use it in a more proactive way with different choices and you'll still be using all of your brain but yeah. by doing things in a conscious way you will be firing up and expanding neural pathways for for those activities that you want want to do i think the other one that's really well um, talked about often talked about and again i understand why is left brain right brain so it is true that there are certain parts of the brain that are, from a physical point of view, that are highly what they call lateralized. So you do have more of a, a lateral right side, a lateral left side. And there are different functions that each of those will perform within a, a, a healthy human brain. But it's not the function, the regions themselves, it's the networks that matter. So you've got networks firing the information across between the right hand side and the left hand side of the brain. What's the popularized thinking says that the left brain is all about analysis and logic and um, as a linear thinking, if you like, yeah. process. Mm -hmm. The right brain's all about creativity and connections. And it's, it can't be that pure. So what, what we do know through experimentation is, uh, and, and what the academics tell us, is that there may be more activity taking place on the right-hand side if you are doing a, a project that in, involves a lot of idea generation. But also ideas do occur on the other side of the brain. So somebody who, say, has a preference, who really loves working in a, a process-based manner, a beginning, a middle, and the end, they generate their ideas in a different way from somebody who just spontaneously makes connections. So it's, it's again, it's helpful, I think, to understand that if you, uh, you may be more left-brained and i'm putting this in inverted commas for the listeners on the on the po podcast if you enjoy process and analysis and more right-brained if you enjoy that sort of spontaneity but it doesn't mean you're not using the other side of the brain it is a misnomer and a myth to say you are only left brain and you're only right brained and the beautiful thing about the, the, the brain is and we know this through brain injury is that if perhaps parts of the left brain or parts of the light right brain were injured in an accident we could relearn to operate uh, using different regions of the brain because it's a network that matters just as if you you know we tend to have preferences for using a right or a left hand and if one of them was injured you know i think i'd find it quite tough to learn to write with my left hand but i could do it you know through the through practice and repetition i could bring new, new patterns out so i think we we, we need to be careful to agree maybe that's too strong a word but um because of course a lot of what is written is, is true and useful but the other thing and this isn't a myth this is truth is that and i can't give you a percentage on it but we know we don't know everything about the brain <laughs> so i think one thing i read so this probably could be a myth i don't know if it's true um i think in the 2010 it was george bush that declared the coming decade the decade of the brain and uh, it might have been 2000 i think i can't remember which which one it was but the, the forward decade the decade of the brain and at that stage i read an article that said we only know 
3% of what there is to know about the brain. And that really confused me because I thought, how do we know that there's still 97% to find out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know? So, so the, the reality is there will be, you'll read an awful lot. And I'm not saying, oh, take it all with a pinch of salt. I'm not saying that. It's just that some of the stuff, it just in order for us to be able to understand in a generalized sense, there will be some, some mythology within there, but that does not mean to say that it, it will all be useless, not at all. You know, learning a, a, a little bit about the brain can be really, really liberating and really helpful for people. Yeah, well, and luckily there is still a lot to learn for us when it comes to, to the <laughs> brain, right, if, if we look at it like that. Whether it's 97% or, or 50%, there's more to learn. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, Joe, could you explain us because you taught some of the, you know, some of the myths, like um, what it means for you to make friends with your brain? Can you explain that? Uh, yeah. For people? And, <laughs> and not only that, but also what you think is the, you know, the most important thing to start doing that. I think that will be also. Okay, so I think I, mean, I, I often work, I, I work with coaches a lot. So I help coaches to bring neuroscience into their work to, um, to add a layer, if you like, to their learning. So in no way, shape or form is it around uh, replacing any of the skills that they have. It's just about adding another, another layer. And I think um, one of the most important things about, about neuroscience is that neuroscience helps people to, I guess, understand why they act the way they do. So what we do in coaching is we, we're helping people to try things on for size, to, to, to try new actions, to perhaps um, effect the change that they want to create within their life. And we're facilitating those conversations. And they, so we, we help them with the how, this is how you can do this, this is what you can do, you know, they're coming up with the suggestions themselves. Whereas neuroscience is almost more foundational and a little bit of understanding with the client around what's happening inside their brain helps them understand that okay, this is why this is happening. So, you know, I'm stuck within this particular pattern because I've automated it. And actually I, I'm responding in that automatic way to that particular trigger. So if I want to change and make friends with my brain, I need to put my brain work, working for me rather than against me. I need to now consciously unpick the habit, for instance, that, I, that I'm um, uh, stuck with so a lot of it okay is about using different language and just i'm not at all about necessarily teaching our clients content all the time so talking but just a little bit of language can help people to reframe things and unpick things in a different way so for instance um one of the things we do know when we just talk about the evolution the structure of the brain um is that around 80% of, of our neurons or our brain cells and that the activity and the networks operate in the more ancient parts of the brain. So the parts that also keep our body going and keep homeostasis going and operate in our, I'm about to come out with a myth, but it's a word, emotional brain, by the way, we don't have an emotional brain and a logical, but where where most of our where, where we know those parts of the brain and the networks uh, reside when we feel and we sense something rather than perhaps the difference of when we think something and just as simple at its simplest some of my clients when they understand that you know, that amount that that sort of four fifths 80 percent of their neurons are operating in that that whole emotional, intuitive, instinctive, more ancient part of the brain, it can be really liberating and help them to 
be able to surface feelings and I, I think that's very useful for some people particularly if they work in you know really sort of gung-ho or organizations that are all about you know respecting um you know the thinking and the analysis and the logic and the metrics by the way that's great but also i'm being very careful about what i say but for those people that are more naturally emotionally intelligent where that emotional intelligence really matters for them it almost gives them permission to be them, you know, and, and kind of think, you know, yeah, hey, 80% of my brain cells are bloody well working in this, in this scenario. And I think at an even more fundamental level, when people recognize that when, when they're making a conscious change, let's say hypothetically, to change a habit, to change a routine, when they recognize and build awareness of a routine that they're stuck in is no longer serving them well, and they're making that conscious effort to change that habit, when they recognize that they are actually physically rewiring their brain, they have the power to do that, that's also very liberating. Because, you know, you're, it, it's also it helps to keep the motivation going you know i know that if i do this every day for the next 100 days 200 days 30 days i'm helping myself to be able to lay down genuinely lay down stronger neural pathways because the brain learns through repetition and what happens with with as we repeat things we get a reward for doing it and as we repeat it because we're, we're getting this dopamine it's a bit more complex than that but because we're getting a hit of some sort of reward we want to do it again so we're we we're keeping our motivation going by, by by repeating doing things and when we're aware that this is actually happening it kind of adds to our motivation to continue even when things start to feel a bit tough keep things conscious and continue to rewire ourselves because we are doing that all the time. And when we consciously get that, that can be really liberating and empowering. Wow. wow. All right. So this was a, a, lo a long story, but uh, what I loved about it is, you know, you were talking about change and building new habits, yeah. um, that it's very important to, to be, you know, to retrain your brain as well. And, you know, so that you can expand neural pathways um, and repeat that message. And I think something that's very important as well is when you're making a change, and what I would love to know more about is how you can reward yourself then. Like what are some examples of the way that you can reward yourself so that you can keep on uh, having that inner motivation to, to, to initiate that change as well. I think that's also, I think something very important. Yeah, it absolutely is. It? is. And, and again, to keep it conscious. So there's quite a lot in your, in your question there. So a habit is made up um, in its really simplest sense of a trigger, so a cue, then your action, your behavior, and then the reward. And I think it is, and rewards can be both extrinsic and intrinsic. So by that, it can be buy myself a new dress if I lose 10 pounds at Christmas time. Yeah. And that's very visible. Yeah. And, and external, or it can be, you know, intrinsic, you know, just to feel fantastic about yourself, to feel healthy, to have, you know, better skin or whatever it might be. No, you're feeding um, your, your skin in that way. And so, but here's the thing about rewards, you know, your brain, does not know at that subconscious level whether the reward is, is of having the new beautiful black dress or whether the reward is, the reward could be as simple as keeping you in a familiar pattern because okay. the brain wants to keep you safe and okay. the brain tends to resist ch resist change because change exposes you to risk yeah 
yeah and um the brain, the brain really is a survival machine and we want to if we're, if we're in a pattern of doing something that isn't causing having dreadful consequences for us but if it's okay then the brain will work quite hard to keep you in those particular patterns so when you're working with a client who who kind of recognizes that yeah i, I want to change a habit it's really important to unpick those the habit to the trigger so let's recognize what your mm. cue is is it five o'clock in the afternoon you want a glass of wine for instance we tend to as coaches work on the behavior yeah, so let's change your thought. Let's have a different pattern at the five o'clock in the afternoon. But it's as important to look at that cue, see what you can do around the cue, as well as the behavior and the rewards. So, of course, what we can do ourselves rewards are those extrinsic rewards, the external rewards. We can, you know, you know reward ourselves with a new black dress or a new handbag or, or a walk or a drink of water or a standing up and you know reading a book or a ted talk that's my go-to you know I, I reward myself with learning you I know and do, do, some, do something different but i do it in a different room we have a, a, a family computer in a, in a different room so i it, it's it's a get up and go reward and now what's interesting is that that was a reward it's now become a pattern it's now become a habit so uh, you know i feel that if i don't get that reward then it's it, you know I, I need to do something consciously about it so much around making friends with your brain and about habit change is conscious thinking just bringing it to our attention chunking things down don't keep them too big you know little habits celebrating small wins reward and, and that's another another point about reward a reward a conscious reward to yourself can be just as easy as being kind to yourself and saying well done well done you've achieved that today that's fantastic yeah it's nice if you get a mulberry handbag but you know hey <laughs> you know it, just saying well done you know and, and and using proactive positive encouraging motivation language motivating language with yourself can be super rewarding all right all right so like when we're talking about habit change right mm. like i've read several studies on the amount of days that it takes to incorporate a new habit like what is your vision on it how how, uh. how like, is there a certain, is, is there really like 66 days? Is it 20 days? <laughs> it, like, what's your vision on it? Yeah, this is the, the answer that I think everybody dreads. It depends. <laughs> you know, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I love that, that, that research. 66 days was very popular a, 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 few, a couple of years ago. I think it was at University College London research. And it was really valid in the context within which they, they, um, they uh, did the experimentation. It's, and it's, I think what was really valid and useful about that piece of research was the fact that prior to that, popularized and i'm not saying it's it's myth, myth, a myth because it will depend but people were talking about 30 days you know what one month before that yeah. so mm -hmm. i think it was really useful to say actually you know it, it could could very well be longer and it, and it depends it depends on how on, on the habit and it depends how many triggers and associations you have with the habit so let's say hypothetically it's smoking you wanted to give up smoke or quit smoking and there are lots of programs to do so you know you might maybe even at a subconscious level equate smoking with something that you used to do with your late grandfather you know but hypothetically it might be something that you enjoyed 
doing, sharing a cigar or a cigarette or a pipe maybe with your grandfather. So therefore mm-hmm. it's, it's retaining those memories for you. Um, you may associate smoking with success that you always went off to, if you, if you struck a deal in the, when you were working in the early nineties or whatever, uh, you'd go to the, the wine bar and you'd have a cigar for instance. So it's, it's more complex. It's not as binary as, as perhaps we, we, we may think, um, you know, perhaps starting the habit of a daily walk or a, a walk and you want to get to a daily walk is maybe a little bit more binary than, than perhaps something as ingrained as smoking. So I think, I think these studies are extremely useful. And I think what they do is they put a really useful time frame, whether it's 66, 67, 65, 92, 42, they put a time frame into people's heads so that we, we know that this isn't going to happen tomorrow, you know, without yeah, exactly. willpower yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. from a, from a, a pattern and laying down those pathways perspective it's not going to take half a day it will take time so i think it helps people chunk and plan they're they're really really useful in in that it depends what it is yeah all right so i want to move into the one of the last questions because i'm looking at the time <laughs> just to be to be aware um let me think what i've been all thinking i, I I think it's very important like we're talking about habit change now like we talked about rewarding we talked about setup like triggers repetition what do you think is the most important thing when you want to start initiating um a new habit for people like you know i i think you may think this is a a tangent but i i cannot emphasize this um more for all of us um what is good for our body is good for our brain so if you want to change a habit do something new you need to look after yourself and you need to be in the right frame not just of mind but frame of body let's let's coin a new phrase there so hydration sleep nutrition exercise fresh air all of those things when we are making good lifestyle choices we're far more likely to stay motivated and keep on track with our habit change because we're we're nourishing we're feeding us our bodies but we're also feeding our brains we're giving our brain the greatest chance to be able to create change in a really happy happy way i'm really interested in the topic of sleep and what we do know from neuroscience is that um less than seven hours of continuous sleep you know really gets in the way of you being able to make great decisions the next day so that would get in the way of you being able to be motivated to keep with your habit change exercise so simple answer but look after your body look after your brain wow i love that i was just thinking about that that the seven hours of sleep you know i'm a fresh parent (laughs) kid of one and a half year so i often don't get that much amount of sleep so i need to start thinking about nourishing my body very well so that's super important uh jill now in the beginning we talked about that there's still a lot to, to discover about the brain, whether it's 60, 60% or 97%. Um, what is something that you still want to find out or something that you're very curious about knowing more? Oh, for me, I, I want to learn more about instinct and and that, and that whole an area that I, I'm actually starting studying next year as well is around and it is related to instinct is the whole area of embodied learning. So um, 
when we change our thoughts, how we actually sense and feel that within the changes within our bodies. Because it, 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 the whole mind-body connection is absolutely true. But what is it that we can do to, to know at a body level as well as a, a brain level that we are affecting change? So I'm really interested in the whole research around intuition, instinct and embodied learning and, and let's just add another one the whole spirituality sphere so there's a lot to learn <laughs> oh wow <laughs> okay that, that's amazing especially when we talk about intuition there so that's also a topic that we still don't know a lot about especially when it comes to scientific measures and stuff yes, and yeah. you know and real research so that's that's very interesting i would love to have you back where you know more about that <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I hope it's still going some, in 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we would have something to talk about. Lovely, so, Jill, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast, for sharing all of your inspirational insights and, and your wisdom here. Thank you. Great um, pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You know, before you go, please share um, with us what are the best places that people can find you and your work. Absolutely. So for me, I post every day except the weekends on LinkedIn and Instagram. So hop over to see me on LinkedIn. You can just see my, my name at the bottom here, uh, Jill Mackay. It's LinkedIn with just my name. And that would be fantastic. I'd be delighted to connect and um, continue the conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jill. And uh, looking you. forward to talk soon. <laughs> Excellent. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Jill McKay. Now, if you really enjoyed it, make sure that you share this with a friend, a colleague or somebody that you think could be inspired and energized by this episode as well. You can simply do so by sharing the link on social media or, of course, you can share my website, dreambuilders.com forward slash podcast. And again, if you really like this episode, make sure that you click the subscribe button right now on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And it would, of course, be awesome if you could leave a review about the part that you enjoyed most as well. Now, thank you so much for listening and I'm looking forward to see you soon.